Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're so glad you're here tonight. Yesterday, uh, was, it, was it this morning? This morning I had stopped in Starbucks to, to get me a coffee, grande, non-fat, three-splenda vanilla latte. And uh, that's what I always get. And... Uh, I was standing there waiting for it to be uh, made, and a lady came up to me, and she said, uh, are, are you the pastor of Family Worship Center? I said, yeah, I, I am. He, are you friend or foe? <laughs> Since I've been here, I've learned to ask that question, you know. And uh, she said, our, my two children uh, went to Terrific Tuesday yesterday, and I said, did they find Dory? And she said, yes, because they went to the movie Finding Door. And they just had a wonderful time. And I just want to say thank you for y'all and tell your congregation thanks to the church for allowing that, to do that for children. It's something now that our children are looking forward to every single Tuesday. And uh, then she started asking me about the church and about, do y'all have a choir? I said, oh, we got a fantastic choir. And uh, she's so... Uh, she said, well, you know, we've been looking for a church, and we used to be in the choir, and now most churches don't have choirs. I said, yeah, you don't mess with church. doesn't have a choir. That ain't much of a church. Um, so uh, I expect them to, to come and visit us, and the reason being because we reached out to children. We reached out to children, and uh, so uh, thank you. Your giving is making that possible, that... Uh, we have a good quality children's ministry. Uh, I know they had meetings today about Vacation Bible School. Got a big Vacation Bible School coming up in July. It's going to be a phenomenal one. And it's led by our children's department and, and, uh, and also uh, various people. And Jennifer Green is also playing a major role in leading that this year along with Pastor Stephen. And we're still needing some help. In our vacation Bible school, we're still needing some help. It's a fun. Amanda and I'll be here each night working. So we, if you've got some time to be a part of that vacation Bible school, it's always a, it's a wonderful time. So Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four. Let's begin reading with verse number eleven. Now these, I'm reading now the New Living Translation, and it says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Notice who he gave them to. He gave them to the church. I want to encourage you. I don't normally do this, but I want to encourage you to be here Sunday morning if at all possibly can because I believe I really have a word from heaven for us. Um, And it's interesting. Notice the scripture says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Have you ever noticed Christ gave these to the church? If you're not a part of a church, chances are you're not going to be blessed by these gifts. Because they're gifts given to the church. And a lot of people want the blessings of the church without being a part of the church. And now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Verse 12, their responsibility 
is to uh, manage people's drama. No, that's not what it says. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue. How long will it continue? Will there ever be a time that we're on earth, that we don't need apostles and prophets because there's some churches that teach that the days of the apostles are over and the prophets are over and things of that nature. Well, he tells us how long it's going to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I don't know about you, but as I look around America today, I see a church that probably doesn't measure up to the standard of Christ. And until the church measures up to the standard of Christ, these gifts are going to continue. So that lets us know they're still out there. They're still needed today. They're not done away with, and they have not ceased. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Boy, what a great phrase and something that we need to ask ourselves. Am I growing in every way more and more like Christ? Am I growing in every way more and more like Christ? Who is the head of the body? The church. So on Wednesday nights, we've been teaching on the Bible subject of the ministry gifts. The ministry gifts. And what are these? The ministry gifts are offices or gifts that Christ has given to the church. Christ chooses people for these offices. Turn me down just a hair, my friend. Christ chooses people for these offices and empowers them, these people, to bring blessing to the church and God's witness to the world. Okay? have to understand, this is not just a a natural talent gift. Uh, I was talking, Amanda and I had a a dinner last night with a beautiful family, a new family of our church, and and he's he's a mechanic. He just worked on things since he was a kid, and he's got that gift. It's a natural gift. Me, I I don't have that gift. Does anybody else not have a mechanic's gift? All right? You know, Amanda's the mechanic in our house, and she's the one with the power tools. And she's got a she's got a electric screwdriver, drill. She's got electric. See, I don't even know the difference. She's she's got electric screwdriver with an extra a drill. She's got a power drill with an extra battery pack. I'm gonna tell you what. In other words, she can come to your house and she can drill you twice. All right. She's got an extra battery pack in her power. Now, I don't even know. What I, she, if she said, go get this, I wouldn't even know. It's just not something that I have passionate about or ever wanted to learn about. It's not a gift. Some of you guys have that gift. You can fix anything. You're looking for something to break. You're looking for something to break. And you can fix it. And, uh, and, that's, and some people have that gift. That's a natural gift. God blessed you with its natural gift. When it comes to ministry gifts, it doesn't work that way. It's not a natural gift. It's not a natural gift. There's an empowering of the Holy Spirit imparted to individuals to do things supernaturally that they could not do naturally. 
And that's why God chooses these people and He empowers these people. The terminology which is often used as a term when it comes to ministers, it's a term that they say, uh, do you feel a calling? Do you have a calling? And you often hear people, men and women, say, I feel called of God to teach. I feel called of God to preach. I feel called of God to be a missionary. It's a calling. In other words, God calls people into these ministry assignments. Now, the Bible teaches us that nobody needs to uh, chase these type of assignments. The Bible teaches. People are always saying, I want on the platform. I want to be able to be I want to get up there on that platform. Do you understand? Once you put yourself on that platform or God puts you on that platform, there's a greater judgment to come upon you. A greater judgment. Listen to this scripture. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse number 1. James chapter 3. The Holy Spirit says this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. So understand what he's saying. If if you accept this assignment, you understand the judgment is more severe than the people who sit in the chairs. And we understand that. Often I hear people say, well, ministers are just human, and they make mistakes. That is true. Ministers are human, and humans make mistakes. But when a person accepts the assignment to be a God-called minister, he or she must understand there is a higher standard for behavior and attitude. There is one. And the judgment that comes is more severe. And and, And every minister understands that. People say to me, well, you know, he did this, he had an affair, or he did this. And, you know, people, everybody has affairs. Or people have affairs and they go on in banking, they go on in whatever. We ain't bankers. We're not attorneys. We're not school teachers. We don't work construction. We're called of God to be an example of holiness and godliness and purity. And if we fail in that, there is a judgment for that. There is consequences for that. And every one of us who accept this assignment understand that. Everybody with me? And you are okay to expect your pastor to walk holy before God. And your pastor, you're okay to expect your pastor not to commit adultery. And not to steal. And not to lie. And not to deceive. It's okay to expect your pastor to do that. You need to be able to say, my pastor walks as close to Jesus as any person I know. You should, there's nothing wrong with that. You should expect that. And every man and woman of God who answers the call of God understands this is our assignment in life. This is our assignment. I talk to pastors all the time who have fallen, who have failed. And they say, it's just not fair. And I say, what do you mean it's not fair? He told you going in. He didn't push your arm and make you do this. You know it going in. This is our calling in life. This is the burden we bear. 
This is the cross we carry. We are a spectacle. Our lives are under the microscope. People watch everything we do, everything we wear, the way our hair looks, where we go, what we drive, what we live. Well, that's just not fair. It might not be fair, but that's the way it is. And you understand that when you accept the call of God. You know why people do that? Because they're looking for somebody who can live above the junk that they're living in every single day of their life. And they're wanting somebody to be able to say, you can overcome, let me prove it to you, watch me. See, that's what he said. And today there's such a lower standard for ministers. There's such a low standard, but not by God. Not by God. He expects men and women of God to be holy and pure and righteous. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says the judgment for ministers is more strict. So count the cost before you accept the assignment. Not only is the judgment more strict, but also the warfare against your life is more severe. It's more severe. Satan loves to take down ministers. He loves to take them out. He loves to take them out. He can take down the, the head. He can take down the church. So he loves to take them out. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you, this is what Paul says. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. I've been watching, I've been interested watching the Tennessee Titans, all their new uh, recruits that are coming in and how they're, they're working hard and they're in shape and they're trying to beat out competition and they're in training. They're, they're getting themselves in shape. Same way spiritually. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize, the Super Bowl, that will fade away. Can any of you remember who won the 11th Super Bowl? Does anybody in here know who, real quickly who won the 11th Super Bowl? You know why? Because it fades away. Yet they're working their hind ends. Y'all know what hind end is, don't you? They're working their hind end off to win this coming Super Bowl, but nobody remembers who won the 11th Super Bowl. Why? Because they're doing it for a prize that fades away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Now notice what he says in verse 27. I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. The devil wants to disqualify ministers. He comes through temptation. He comes through pride. He comes through deception. He tries to disqualify ministers, people who are called of God. So not only is the judgments more severe when you fall but also the warfare that comes against you and your family is more severe. You are a target. Satan doesn't want ministers well. He doesn't want them doing good. And the last thing he wants is ministers to be an example of holiness or purity or success in a community. He doesn't want that. The ministry gift, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher are still vitally needed today because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has not entered into full maturity. And false doctrine continues to sidetrack multitudes of people. False doctrine continues to sidetrack people. So what have we talked about? We've talked about apostles, all right? 
the apostles. The word apostle has a much wider meaning than is generally understood. The word apostle comes from the word apostolos, which means one sent forth, a messenger. An apostle is one sent forth on a special mission. Okay, somebody called of God to go on a special mission. Many missionaries who have been called to a country on a special mission. They're sent forth. They're apostles. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 13. We've used this verse several times. He says this, For I speak to you Gentiles, Paul is talking, insomuch as I am an apostle, I am sent to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm sent to the Gentiles. He wasn't sent to the Jews. He was on a special mission from God, sent to the Gentiles. And then the second group we've talked about are the prophets. The prophets. A prophet, we've talked about this, speaks by divine, direct divine inspiration, immediate revelation. Not something thought up of your own intellect. Not something you watch on Fox News. Not something uh, that you read in a book. It's, by, uh, it's but something given by divine inspiration. Look at Acts chapter 21 again. Let's look at a verse we looked at before. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Everybody over there? How many brought your Bibles? Acts 21, verse 8 says this. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist. All right, so there's another one of these gifts. The evangelist. Philip was an evangelist. Who was one of the seven. What does that mean? It means he was one of the seven deacons chosen in Acts chapter 6. He started out as a deacon and God, while he proved himself faithful as a deacon, God called him to be an evangelist. So he was one of the seven and they stayed with him. Now this man had four daughters, four virgin daughters who prophesied. So Philip was an evangelist. He had four daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet... Okay, named Agabus, came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and says, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. In other words, this prophet had seen into the future and says, This is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt. Now when they heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, The will of the Lord be done. So what was the prophet doing? He had a revelation. He saw by supernatural insight something that was about to happen to the Apostle Paul. Now notice what the prophet did. The prophet, if you read that and study it real closely, the prophet didn't tell Paul to go or not to go. You know, Because in the New Testament, it's not the ministry of the prophets to give people direction. It's just their, it's their ministry to see, but it's not their ministry to give direction. Notice that he didn't say, don't go up to Jerusalem, you're going to end up like this. Or he didn't say, go to Jerusalem. He just said, this is what's going to happen. And Paul made the decision on what to do by the Spirit of God that was leading him. And then we shared this. We gave you some characteristics because this thing of prophets huge now in the body of Christ. You see a lot of these guys on television, late at night television, saying they're a prophet. If you call in, give them some money, they'll give you a word. All right? 
So what is the characteristics of true prophets? If there's true prophets, there's false false prophets. So what's the characteristics? True prophets will demonstrate humility. True prophets will demonstrate humility. Number two, true prophets allow their prophecies to be judged. They allow their prophecies to be judged. If somebody says they're a prophet and all their prophecies, none of their prophecies come to pass, then you, you need to kind of scratch your head and say, maybe we need to check on where you're plugged in at. You might not be plugged into the right thing here. Number three, the ministry of the prophet is to exhort and confirm the church. A lot of people think a prophet, all he's supposed to do is prophesy. In fact, I see it on Facebook. These, these so-called prophets will say, everybody that comes to my meeting, everybody will get a word. Everybody will get a word. If you come, you're going to get a word. Listen, every time you come to this church and I preach and I'm not a prophet, you'll get a word. It's called the Word of God. And if you need something more than the Word of God, you have moved beyond where God wants you to be. The, the major purpose of a prophet is to preach and teach the word. Okay? To preach and teach the word. Not to be doing all this prophesying. Okay? That's only as, as the Spirit wills. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Spirit moves upon people as He wills, not as you will. As He will. Let's say you advertise that you're going to give everybody a word that night and the Spirit don't move that direction. So what does that make you? Makes you a false prophet. Because all of these things are as the Spirit wills. You don't turn this stuff on like a faucet. Turn it on when you want hot, turn it on when you want cold. It's as the Spirit wills. Okay? Number four, true prophets will have a more consistent manifestation of foreseeing events. They'll foresee events. Here's another one. Look at Acts chapter 11. This same prophet by the name of Agabus. Acts chapter 11 verse 27. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. And then it says here, this was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So we got apostles, we have prophets. The third thing we talked about, the third gift is the evangelist. The evangelist is the one who brings the evangel, the good news. The word evangel means good news. An evangelist is one who brings good news. He's a messenger of good tidings. The evangelist's favorite theme is salvation in its simplest form. Probably one of the greatest evangelists that I've ever heard in my life. And even he would move from evangelist to prophet. Evangelist to prophet. And, and, and you see a lot of these men and women who are used, they'll, they'll move between one and the other, one and the other. Brother Hagin was a prophet teacher. Kenneth Hagin was a prophet teacher. But one of the greatest evangelists, and he'd move from evangelist to a prophet, of course, who's the, who's the, who's the, and when everybody thinks of an evangelist, pure evangelist, who do you think of? Billy Graham. And why do you think of Billy Graham and his evangelist? 
because he just preaches Jesus. And people get saved. He brings the good news. He is truly an evangelist, mightily used of God. He's one of the greatest pictures of an evangelist uh, mankind has ever known. But another evangelist who would move from evangelist to prophet, and sometimes he would operate in the evangelist gifts, sometimes he'd operate in the prophet's gifts, was David Wilkerson. Anybody ever heard of David Wilkerson? I remember the first time, uh, it was many years ago, first time I went to hear him personally. And I thought, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. I repented of everything I knew to repent of because I didn't want him getting close to me and laying hands on me. And I have sin in my life. So I'm repenting the whole way there. Any thought I had, any, any attitude I had, anything I'd ever done when I was six years old, oh, God, forgive me, forgive me. I don't want the prophet to see something on me. And I got there that night, and I was nervous all night long. Is he going to prophesy? Is he going to call people out? Is he going to see sin in people's life? All this kind of thing. And he got up to preach, and that night, all he preached on was the love of God. He preached the most amazing message on the love of God. He never acted mad. He never acted judgmental. It was the most amazing message on the love of Jesus. He never prophesied. He never saw nothing. He never talked about hell. He never talked about fire. He didn't ever sniff around you saying you smell like smoke because you're getting ready to go there. You know, it's none of that. He talked about the goodness of God and the love of God and he gave the altar call and people, dozens of people came. Because when you operate in the ministry of an evangelist, all you have is to share his good news. And their message is very simple. It's simply Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, there's something very interesting about this. Because every one of us have been commanded to do the work of an evangelist. You say, well, I, don't, I talk to people and they don't get saved. Well, you might not be called to be a, an anointed evangelist, but Paul told Timothy, even though you're not an evangelist, you've got to do the work of an evangelist. So it's our responsibility to even share the good news, to share it, to share it. That's the work of an evangelist, to share the good news. So an evangelist is one who brings the good news. Here's another one. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what he says. But you keep your head in all situations. Boy, that's a good... You can preach on that for years. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. What's he saying there? He's saying you're not called to be an evangelist. Timothy was not an evangelist. He was a pastor. Timothy was a pastor. Pastor of the church at Ephesus. But Paul told him, he said, now, you're called to be a pastor, but you do the work of an evangelist. Even though you, a lot of people say, well, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Yeah, but you're called to do the work of an evangelist. So it's our responsibility for all of us to tell the good news. To tell the good news. All right? Let's talk about the fourth one. Let's break new ground here for the next 15 minutes. The pastor. Everybody say pastor. The word pastor is only used once in the King James Version. And it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The Greek word for pastor literally means shepherd. The Greek word for pastor literally means shepherd. Look at John chapter 10, verse number 11. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. It's the word pastor. I am the good shepherd 
the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So that tells you right there what a characteristic of a pastor is. He puts the sheep first. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So a good pastor will always put the church's needs above his needs. A good pastor will always put the sheep above himself. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of the sheep, or the guardian of your souls. Jesus is the great shepherd and the chief shepherd of all sheep. Jesus is the great shepherd. Look at Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. You know this verse. Psalm 23, verse 1. You know what it says? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. So the Lord is referred to more as a pastor than anything else. More than an apostle, more than a prophet, more than an evangelist. He's referred to, Jesus is referred to, the Lord is referred to as a shepherd. 1 Peter 5, 4. Look at 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the great shepherd appears, who's the great shepherd? Jesus. When Jesus appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and joy. So Jesus is the great shepherd. A pastor on earth is an under-shepherd. A pastor is to exercise loving oversight and care. A pastor's job is to exercise loving oversight and care. Although the office of pastor might not be as flamboyant and operate as spectacularly as the apostle or the prophet or the evangelist, nevertheless, the office of the pastor is supernatural and is necessary in the body of Christ. In fact, listen to this. In fact, the daily walk of the sheep, for the daily walk of the sheep, the office of the pastor is more necessary than the apostle, prophet, evangelist, or the teacher. And I, and I tell all my apostle buddies and my prophet buddies, I, you know, they're always selling books and doing all this stuff. And I say, yeah, you can do all that. But the sheep need me more than they need you. Yeah. You say, well, give me scripture for that. Okay, I'll give you scripture for that. Turn with me real quickly to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Verse number 36. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. Notice what it says. We're talking about the pastor here. An under-shepherd. A local pastor of a church is an under-shepherd. Look what it says. Matthew nine 36. I'm reading now the New Living Translation. When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a what? Shepherd. Notice he didn't say they were confused and helpless like sheep without a prophet. He didn't say they were confused and helpless like sheep without an apostle. He didn't say they were confused and helpless like a sheep without an evangelist. He says they're confused and helpless like sheep without a pastor. Without sheep, without a shepherd. Let's talk about the responsibilities of the pastor. What you should expect of your pastor. What is the responsibilities of a God called pastor? Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. They're pretty well written out. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. The Holy Spirit through the apostle Peter writes this, And now a word to you who are elders, 
in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in His glory when He is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Number two, verse two. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, who's the great shepherd? Jesus. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. The first responsibility of every God-called pastor is to feed the flock. To feed the flock. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Turn over to Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. Listen to me now. I don't, I don't, don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. I really don't. But it's not the first responsibility of the pastor to come visit you. It's not. Now, I know some of you come from small churches where the pastor shows up every month to your house. It ain't going to happen here unless you've got something to eat. You call me up and say, hey, pastor, i got a pound of cornbread and some buttermilk. I guarantee you I'll come visit you. All right? Y'all know what a pony is, don't you? It's not something on your hip. It's something in the skillet. All right? All right? I got a pound of cornbread and some buttermilk. The first responsibility of your pastor is to feed the flock of God. If I do anything more than studying and getting my heart and prepared to be able to minister to you the Word of God, I have gotten distracted with other things. The first and foremost thing is to be prepared that when you come into this sanctuary or this church house, and when we open up this Bible, you know your pastor has touched the Lord and he's got a word from heaven for you. That's the first and foremost thing. Listen to what it says, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church, purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. So it's my first responsibility to feed you. To feed you. Today I was in my office for five hours by myself, studying, praying, preparing for tonight and for Sunday. Because that's my responsibility to feed you. On Friday, when the music pastor is taking a hike down some fall at Fall Creek Falls, I'm in here praying and studying, getting ready to feed you. And he gets up there and does a little thing, and everybody cheers and claps. And I get up there, and they criticize everything I say. But I make a lot more money than you. So that's just the way it works. There's There's a price to pay, all right? Feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God. You know, I've watched over the years a lot of pastors get into multi-level marketing. They get into a lot of different business things, and that's fine for pastors. But when, when, I, when a God-called pastor shows up at your house or when you need him, you don't want to talk to him about business. You want to talk to him about the care of your soul. See, to feed the church of God. That's the number one responsibility. Number two is to care for the flock. Look what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. 
Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Care for the flock. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Now, listen to this. I had to learn this the hard way because I almost uh, lost my life physically just wearing myself out. There's a difference between caring for and taking care of. It's the pastor's job to care for, not take care of. Only you and God can take care of you. I can't take care of you, but I can care for you. All right? So a lot of people think, well, you're you're supposed to help pay my bills, and you're supposed to do this. No, no, no. I'm supposed to care for you, but I'm not supposed to take care of you. It's kind of like... when you're when your your baby when your children are small, you take care of them. But how many of you know there comes a time that you can no longer take care of them? In fact, if you try to take care of them when they become adults, you know what they call you? Broke. All right. At, there comes a point in their journey that you've got to stop taking care of them, and you start doing what? Caring for them. But you don't take you can't take care of them. And it's the pastor's job to care for, not take care of. All right? So, the first thing a pastor does is that he must be a feeder. He must spend his time learning the Word, studying the Word, hearing from heaven, praying. You know, remember the apostles in the, when the church was getting started? That One of the reasons they went and got deacons was so that the deacons could do the daily work of the church so that the pastors or the leaders or the apostles could spend their time in, in the study of the word and prayer. Okay? So feeding the flock, caring for the flock. The third thing that a pastor must have, he must be skilled in teaching. A pastor must be skilled in teaching. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, one translation says a pastor, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must ha- enjoy having guests in his home. Home. One of the things I hear guys say all the time: "I love the ministry. It's people I can't stand." Well, I wonder if they're even called to ministry because, as a minister, especially as a pastor, you got to love people. You got that doesn't mean you don't get tired of them from time to time, but you still got to love them. Notice what it says: You've got to be given to hospitality. You've got to enjoy having guests into your home. And you must be, notice this, you must be able to teach. He doesn't say that to prophets. He doesn't say that to evangelists. He doesn't say that to the apostles. He says you, as the pastor, you must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. I'm glad he said drinker and just didn't stop with heavy. He must not be heavy. (laughs) You can't be a heavy drinker or be violent. My challenge at times is not the drinking part, it's the violent part. Sometimes I want to hurt somebody. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about on that? He must be gentle, not quarrelsome like Pastor Wayne, and not love money like Pastor Gary. So uh, he must be gentle. 
not quarrelsome, and not money. The pastor, notice what it says, the pastor must be skilled in giving instruction. He must be apt to teach. A teacher is one who is skilled in giving instruction. So a good pastor must be skilled in giving instruction. Some people in the Pentecostal church desire their preacher to be loud. They desire their preacher to be boisterous, with arms flailing and saliva excreting. They think that's a good pastor. There's nothing wrong with that style. There's nothing wrong with that style as long as instruction is being delivered. Okay. Unfortunately, some just want emotions stirred. Some people just want emotions stirred instead of their souls renewed with the Word of God. All right? So a pastor must be skilled in teaching. He must feed the flock, and he must care for the flock. That's what you should expect in your pastor. I never will forget, um, I was listening to Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan teach on the ministry gifts back in the 90s. And uh, he made this statement, and I never forgot it. And I've prayed, I, every, just about every day I pray and ask the Lord for this. He said, every pastor should pray to walk to have a consistent manifestation of the word of knowledge operating in their life. The word of knowledge is one of those nine ministry gifts, and the word of knowledge is divine facts in the mind of God of things concerning the, the past or the present. Defi- divine facts in the mind of God of things concerning the past or the present that you, would, as an individual, would not automatically know. Okay? And he said every pastor ought to pray that the word of knowledge would operate in them. Facts in the mind of God concerning the present of the the flock, the people, that the pastor can know so he can help them. He can help them. Have you ever ever been in a church service uh, uh, and and your pastor, it might not have been here, it might have been somewhere else, a church service where your pastor, he got up to speak and when he finished you would have thought he was sitting at y'all's kitchen table listening to every word y'all talked about two weeks ago or last week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the, that's the ministry of the pastor where the people are going through an issue and the Lord in prayer while the pastor's praying and seeking the face of God reveals to him this is what the people needs. And he speaks it and it's like, man, you were reading my mail. You were reading my mail. That's the ministry of the pastor. Now, let's finish this up tonight. I've got five minutes. Let's talk about the final one, the teacher. The teacher is a divine gift and calling just like the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor. Remember, with each gift there is an anointing. A teacher is one who is skilled in giving instruction. The ministry gift of teacher is not given because of natural abilities or education. These natural abilities may provide a background for this gift, but the teacher is a supernatural ministry as much as the others. The teaching ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit is not dry. 
It's not dry. Have you ever heard, you know, people, you can have all kinds of degrees and be a teacher, but you get up there and they bore you to tears. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But then you might hear somebody teach and it seems like they, their words come alive. See, that's, that, that's the anointing that comes with a God called teacher. All right? The ministry gift of teacher is not because of natural abilities or education. And the teaching ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit is not dry. In fact, Paul calls the teaching ministry watering. Watering. That's what Paul calls it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts. And notice Apollo comes around and he waters it. He teaches He waters it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Now, here's something that it's important to understand and give you maybe a different perspective. We, in the Pentecostal charismatic world, we really like the spectacular. We really like the flamboyant. We we like the, the supernatural, and we should like it. It's wonderful. It's great. But do you realize that the Holy Spirit in the Word of God places a greater emphasis on the teaching ministry than He does the ministry of miracles, healings, and tongues? See, that shows you how far removed we get from the Word of God. We say somebody uh, has got a healing ministry here in town and people will flock to that. And that's wonderful. That's great. Praise God for it. We love it. But you say, we've got a God-anointed teacher here and he's going to teach on something. People won't come to that. Yet in God's eyes, the teaching ministry has more emphasis than healings and miracles. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. I'll I'll just prove it to you from Scripture because some of you are looking at me like I'm weird. And, uh, And let me show it to you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll close with this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. What are they, Paul? First are apostles. Second are prophets. Notice this. Third are teachers. After teachers. Miracles. Gifts of healing. Those who help others. Gifts of leadership and those who speak in unknown languages. Notice the third one in the list is the gift of teaching. And notice what it's ahead of. It's ahead of miracles, healings, and tongues. So the Lord puts a... He understands the the value of a God-anointed teacher. He understands the value of that. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.